Hello and welcome to True to the Bible podcast with Hunter Davis. Thanks for joining us for our next lesson in our series over marriage. This series is called A Strong Marriage Before Marriage. And we're going to be interviewing several different couples who have been married for a long time and have some wisdom for us to glean. Our series is based on the Proverbs 3, 13 and 14, where it says that wisdom is more valuable than silver or even gold. As we seek to learn from these couples, we'll gain wisdom and understanding and application for our lives today and for our future as we look at being prepared to be married. Well, thanks again for joining us. We hope that you enjoy this lesson. All right, well, as you guys know, I'm going to sit down. It's going to be weird because I'm sitting in this tiny short chair because that stool is very wobbly. Uh, But we're doing our new marriage series, and this is our second to last one. We have one more after this, which is crazy. It's already almost over. Uh, But today, we're going to be talking about roles in marriage. If you remember, uh, the whole study is based off of this proverb. It's Proverbs 3, 13 and 14. It says, Happy is the one, or blessed is the one who finds wisdom and who uh, obtains understanding. For her income is better than the income of silver, and her revenue than that of gold. She's more precious than rubies, and all your desires cannot compare with her. And so we want to find wisdom uh, as we go into marriage, uh, and we want to be blessed in our marriage by doing that. And so I know that you guys are all fairly young, and maybe you're not thinking about marriage yet. Maybe you are, uh, you know, you're dreaming of marriage. You know, I wasn't a girl, so I didn't do that. Uh, But... Uh, regardless, a lot of us in here will be married someday. And so we want to have a blessed marriage or one that is um, filled with wisdom before we even go into it. And so that's the goal of doing this. And today, uh, we're going to be talking about roles. As I said, roles in marriage, the question is, what is my role in marriage? Because if you understand what your role is in marriage, it's going to help you when you get married, if you understand that right now, right? So if you, <clears throat> if you play a sport and you don't know, you know what position you play, but you don't know what the position does or what you're supposed to do in the position. So if I go and I play basketball and they put me at point guard, but I don't know what a point guard does until I get in the game, what's going to happen? It's not going to be good, right? I'm going to be running down and they're going to be like trying to throw the ball into the center because their point guard's not up there and taking care of the ball. And, And so if you don't understand your role and what you're supposed to do, uh, in that position of basketball, then it's going to be bad. Same thing for marriage. If you don't understand your role uh, before you go into marriage, it's going to be a lot harder when you get married. And so we want to understand our roles. Today we're going to be in Ephesians 5, uh, and we're going to look through that, and also Genesis 2. We're going to be in two verses there. So you can flip to those verses if you want, stick your finger in them. Uh, we'll talk about them in a little bit. Today our guest speaker are Brent and Lori. So you guys can come on up here, give them a round of applause. Uh, what? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, I don't know if it'll hold your coffee, okay. but it's pretty, uh, yeah. So Brent and Lori, I, was, I decided I was going to talk a little bit about them, give them some accolades, because I'm so thankful for Brent and Lori. If you, guys, if you guys haven't noticed that they've been in youth, then you've really been sleeping a lot. But uh, they've been in youth now for a long time helping us, and they've done a lot, and it's been really beneficial for me. Uh, and they've, they've just helped me and Haley a lot in youth, and they've helped you guys a lot, and then just being willing to be in here uh, and be at all these activities and all these things, it's very sacrificial of them, um, and so I really appreciate you guys, and I don't say it enough, 
but we are thankful for you guys. And so, um, Brent Mori, to start out with, we're going to be talking about roles in just a second. But tell us about yourselves. How long have you been married? Give us your little love story, if you will. Uh, don't embarrass your kids too much. Okay. <laughs> so, I'm Brent. This is Lori. We've been married 15 years. Um, Lori. Well, yeah, in July it'll be 15 years. Exaggerating. Yeah. So, Lori is from Skytook. So I don't know if you know where Skytook is. It's sort of between Tulsa and Bartlesville. This way. I'm, my family moved around quite a bit, so I'm sort of from the Texas Panhandle. Graduated high school in Colorado Springs. Came to Oklahoma State. Um, Lori spent her first year of college at Western Kentucky playing soccer. I was here at Oklahoma State. She transferred to UCO in Edmond, and I graduated and moved to Edmond, so we met in Edmond at church in 2004. We were part of the same college and career Sunday school class. Um, we, we sort of hung out with the same group of people through church, and then <coughs> we started dating. And, well, we dated for about 10 days. Oh, well, yeah, this is my yeah, sorry. Yeah, you inter interject. So, for girls, um, as you get older, well, and I guess it could be guys too. Anyways, I really loved my church that I was going to, and of course, I was don't single. Love churches. Well, no, I know that's not what I'm saying, Hunter. Um, <clears throat> and so, I remember thinking, oh, so many times you, you know, like, what if I meet someone and they go to a different church, and you know, it's like then I have to change churches potentially because it seems like a lot of times girls then start going to the guys' church. Um, and so I just asked the Lord, you know, to provide someone that would be at this church. And Brent was there at the time, but it just wasn't fully on my radar. And I don't even know if we actually really knew each other when I had asked that. But so it was just kind of neat how the Lord answered that prayer because he was there. And anyways, I got to stay at my church. So so we dated for about 10 days at one point, And then she was like, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I wasn't jeans. sure if she was ready for us dating. Okay, so then my other interjection, this is the only last one I have, is boys. So when you're dating a girl, um, well, I just want to tell how Brent responded to that. Because I got really scared, and I said, I just don't know that I can, you know, still date right now. And I'm so sorry. And that's a hard thing to, to hear and take in, especially if you kind of really like this girl. Um, you can feel very rejected. But Brent... Listen, listen, listen. This is a really good thing he did. He just said, um, that's okay. He was like, we'll just leave it that I ha I'm going to keep my eye on you. <laughs> and so he wasn't mad at me. I mean, I had kind of had, you know, some boyfriends before that, which is a whole other story. But um, but things like that, people usually get mad, right, because they feel rejected, which is common. But Brent, I mean, he had this trust in the Lord and the Lord's plan. And so, anyways... That really was a key thing for him to respond to me that way, that he wasn't angry. And so <coughs> keep that in mind, guys. So 10 months later, we started dating again, dated for four months. I asked her to marry me. We got married four months later. And we have three kids, Millie, Greta, and George. And that's our story. Oh, good story. I like it. Yeah, yeah. That's good. Okay. Uh, so <clears throat> as we're talking about roles, we're going to go to the scripture here in just a minute. But before we do that, did, it, did either of you guys go into marriage uh, with incorrect ideas or assumptions or improper um, assumptions of what roles are in marriage or just things that you didn't maybe quite understand as well as you do now that had like negative effects 
um, in your marriage? So fortunately, I grew up in a Christian home. My parents, you heard from them a couple weeks ago. I had the, you know, I was fortunate to be able to have been around many godly husband and wives, you know, couples, my parents, my grandparents, uh, my aunt and uncle. And then when we were in at church together, we did premarital, premarital counseling with a really great couple, which I, we would plug that any time. Um, however, I would say that, that I did not necessarily, I understood the macro of what, mm-hmm. the, the big picture of how, how marriage was to work and that sort of thing, what the Bible said about it. And I would say I, I didn't really have a an under, wonderful understanding of the micro the little ways in which that works its way out in marriage. Um, For instance, um, when it comes to sacrifice, as as a boy and even as a man, I will have daydreams about coming to the rescue of someone, whether it's my wife or my kids or a stranger or whatever. And a lot of times... And I think other boys are like that too. Other boys and men were, were kind of wired that way. Um, and so I can very quickly say that I'm ready to die for my wife. A lot of those daydreams that I would have sometimes come with great um, physical sacrifice. But I think what I wasn't ready for with regards to sacrificing for my wife are the, the things that don't come with much, if nobody's seeing, there's no glory or honor or esteem for that. So, like, I might be willing to die for Lori, but if she says, could you hold my purse while I go try on this shirt at the store? You know, it's like, you want me to do what? (laughs) You know, so there's ways that in the micro, I wasn't ready to take on the humility of Mm -hmm. sacrifice. Mm -hmm. That's good. Oh, sorry, I was going to throw in something there. So, um, yeah, I think going into marriage, like when we did premarital counseling and just different things, we went over, did we read that Ephesians passage? Not yet, we're about to. But you can reference it. You want to read it? It's okay. Go ahead. All right, it says, this is Ephesians, and this is what we're going to talk through. Um, Ephesians 5, 22 through 23, be subject. So wives to their own husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. He himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, thus also should be, uh, wives should be subject to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, in order that he might sanctify her by cleansing her with the washing of water by the word, in order that he might present himself to the church uh, glorious, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she may be holy and blameless. Thus also husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. The one who loves him, his own wife loves himself. <coughs> Excuse me. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourished it and cherished it just also as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Thus, uh, this is the mystery is great. Uh, I'm speaking in reference to Christ and the church. Only you also, each one of you, must love his own wife as himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So I think going into marriage, we um, we did premarital counseling with our head pastor, and he just kind of did a talk over that, and we were like, yes, that's we recognize that's so important, and that's what it's supposed to be. Um, and we had it 
shared at our wedding because that was such a priority to us too to have the right picture of that but again it's kind of like Brent said the micro and macro and Mm. David Hunter's dad mentioned last week of like you know marriage is a process of maturity right and so you you under might have a big idea of what it means but yeah to live it out day in day out and what that means um is different so some negative effects for me in my role like coming in even though I knew the big picture but to it to work out so in our first six six months of marriage um our biggest argument you might laugh over this but our biggest argument was over the fact that I wanted to get a dog and he kept saying no. That's two weeks in a row too for the dog thing. Yeah. And so, so, and I, you know, as a new wife, I was like, oh, he's, you know, he says no, but you know, he wants me to be happy. So he's going <laughs> to say yes at some point. Um, but he kept saying no. He really did. He really kept saying no. And he, he held that crown and it really created some like contention because I just could not believe. And so I had a hard time kind of yielding and accepting that, that response. Um, another area I'd say, I, I mean, throughout our marriage, I mean, finances is a big deal in marriage, and you're going to marry someone someday that probably has some different views on finances and even just different wirings of how they view money, okay? Um, and so we came to marriage that way, and so there's been things, I think, throughout our marriage in finances that, um, again, that's the outworking of, like, I'm supposed to yield to his final say in things and there's just been a rub sometimes in some of his decisions with finances that then has created some some battles so yeah, that's good and so going back to like the micro macro like if we're playing a game of basketball and you understand the big picture of what a point guard does does that mean you always go out there and perform perfectly and does that mean you understand every situation that comes up when you're playing basketball, you know, you're like, you like you get out there and this guy sets a screen on somebody and you're like, okay, I, I was supposed to guard that guy as the point guard, but like I can't because I can't get through the screen. And you have to switch and all these things happen and you mess up. Uh, but if you understand the big picture, then you're going to get it a lot better than if you don't understand the big picture, right? And so the next question is, can you give us examples without names of couples, and let's talk about the big picture, that don't understand the big pictures of rules or get those big picture rules reversed and how that negatively affects uh, their families when they're basically in the wrong role. Yeah. Well, first of all, I think that there's a lot of people that go into marriage um, not taking the commitment seriously. Um, I think at their wedding, people have a tendency to maybe recite their vows out of tradition, not realizing that they're actually making a commitment before God and other people that they're going to they're going to serve their spouse for the rest of their lives. Um, I've known men who seem to think of their job as the head of the family, as meaning that. They get to boss everybody else in the family around, and they get to have their way, um, and that they'll even act like that's what the Bible has told them they're to do. Um, they don't catch the sacrificial part. They don't seem to hear the part about loving your spouse. They don't even really pay attention to the aspect of humility. Um, so there ends up being no unity in their marriage. Um, there's no teamwork or common purpose and, and they seem to think that becoming one flesh is merely on the physical side and, and not emotional, spiritual, or, or even directional. Um, so some ways in which, like Lori mentioned finances, 
we have that's probably been one of the main areas in which we have struggled to communicate well and I haven't led well I've, I've many times I've not led well in how we communicate regarding finance and the funny thing is we're both fairly good with money so it's not like one of us is really bad with money we just don't communicate well right. and so but it's my job to, to lead us in that um, and I wanted to bring up something here um, in Ephesians it talks about how man is to, the husband is to love his wife and it also mentions that the, the wife is to respect her husband mm -hmm. and there's a really good book called Love and Respect that's, that's, that talks about this but you think about the fact that Satan is, is going to be attacking the family by attacking the husband. Now he's going to attack all members of the family, but he's going to come at the husband with things, uh, with these attacks. And if we are not focusing on what our role is, we're going to get into this cycle called the love and re respect cycle where the, the, the way the husband reacts to something is not showing love to his wife and then the wife's response to that does not show respect to the husband and they get stuck in this cycle and it's really the, the husband's job to break that cycle and that takes humility and that takes realizing that you need to fill your role and it's not our job to constantly be trying to fix our spouse it's our job to fill our role so I wanted to bring that up. Oftentimes I'll have blind spots. I've had blind spots when it comes to addressing things with our kids. And I need, I need Lori because she can help encourage me towards filling my role. And she's not harping on trying to fix me, but she's encouraging me in that. Let's see if there was anything else I had there. Um, Going back to the, the husband that sort of sees his, his role as the boss, what's, what this ends up looking like is a husband and wife w with completely different goals and purposes in life when, when he's not really getting to know her needs and, and her desires and her dreams and that sort of thing. Uh, they end up having different goals, different purposes. Uh, they don't talk to one another. They don't enjoy one another. And if, if left this way, um, when their children grow up, they think this, this is what marriage is supposed to look like and often end up either looking the same way or they dodge marriage altogether. So that's, that's some of the effects of not filling your role properly. That's really good. Um, yeah, and I see it. I think we all see it. I think if every one of you just thinks about it, you'll see... Uh, marriages uh, that you know of even at your age it's like you can tell it's not going good um, and you can tell something's wrong with it and it's because the roles are either reversed or they're just not fulfilling the role at all or uh, they're taking the role to an extreme or, or something like that so roles really are important and they do have a lot of negative effects when we're not uh, fulfilling our role just like in everything you know basketball okay if you're not fulfilling roles then your team's not going to do good Right, um, so our family will not be blessed, if you will, from the proverb. Um, we're gonna, if we act foolishly and don't fulfill our role as a husband or as a wife, then we're gonna have consequences for that uh, within the marriage. 
uh, which end negatively. So I'm going to go back. I'm going to go ahead and read Ephesians 5, 22 and 23 again. And then we're going to have Brent and Lori explain um, what they think the role of the husband and wife is. You guys can take your time on this um, and just go through it. But I want to read this first. Uh, and then after this and a couple more questions, we go to Genesis as well. So after we read this, you guys can turn to Genesis if you want to. So wives are to be subject to their own husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, thus also wives should be subject to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, in order that he might sanctify her by cleansing her with washing water by the word, in order that he might present himself uh, <clears throat> the church glorious, not having any spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she may be holy and blameless. Thus husbands ought to also love their wives as their own bodies. The one who loves uh, his own wife loves himself. For the one, no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it, cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of one body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is great. I'm speaking of the reference to Christ and the church. Only you also, each one of you, must love his own wife as himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So Brent, explain to us uh, best you can the role of a husband. And guys and girls, listen up, because guys, one day this will be your role. And girls, this is somebody that you're going to be looking for. So I want to talk with, I'm going to start with the fact that the man is to be the spiritual leader. I'm going to talk about that a little bit in depth and then move on to other ways in which the husband is supposed to, to serve. So with regards to what it means to be a spiritual leader, I think this means seeking wisdom through God's word and other believers for decisions that, the, that affect the family and, and how to make those decisions. It means being a man of prayer. It means making it a priority that your whole family is part of a body of local believers, that you are growing and serving as a family um, means talking with your wife and kids about the things that God is teaching you or the ways in which God is, is working in your life or the lives of those around you. It's being an example of spiritual discipline that, um, that, I'm, that I am reading the Bible myself, that, um, that I am taking part in the local body and, and seeking to use my spiritual gifts. And it means training your family to discern truth from lies and to recognize deception. And that's a big one. Um, and that, of course, also happens through God's Word and, and through um, being around other believers who can sharpen you. But um, there's a lot of deception out there. And it's Satan's crafty. And so we have to train and lead our families in, in discerning truth from lies. Um, many men go into marriage feeling completely unequipped to take on the role of spiritual leader. Um, and that's, but that's not something that is meant for them to do alone. And even though they are the leader, that doesn't mean that the husband is meant to learn this alone. Um, the wife is important as an encourager and cheerleader for the husband in, the, in this role. Um, and it's a role that you have to learn with your wife as you get married and you are a family and you have kids and um, most of the time it doesn't come naturally 
especially if you're if the family you came from if your dad wasn't a spiritual leader in the same way um, Satan attacks men in this area and says you have no business trying to lead this family spiritually you know men, we're not perfect so we have flaws and um, and so Satan will hit us with those flaws and say that you might as well give up in this realm because you have no business doing it right we, we, we have to fight that off. As husbands, we don't, if we don't prioritize being in church with our families, there can be a tendency for our children to, to think that at some point in their life they're going to outgrow the need for God. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the furthest thing from the truth because I need him more and more. So it's really important that we model that. It's not just to be a model, but we need it. We need to be in the local body. So in addition to spiritual leader, the husband is to protect his wife. Um, We need to realize as men that our our wives or women in general feel more physically, emotionally, and spiritually vulnerable than we tend to and desires the security this is especially in a husband-wife situation, the security that the husband provides the wife in those realms. Um, the husband is to provide for his wife and work diligently to provide. And he's to seek to understand his wife. God has made us different from one another, and so we think differently, we act differently, we have different strengths and weaknesses, and we are to seek to understand our wife. And that's 1 Peter 3, 7 talks about that. And it's my job to humble myself for the sake of my wife. Um, Oh, yeah. So with regards to like protecting your wife, this is a very practical thing. If you're on a walk with a lady, a young lady, your wife, a girlfriend, whomever, the, the, the boy or the man should walk between the girl and the street, okay? It's just a simple way that you are serving as the protector, okay? So that's very practical. And then it is my role to focus on my role as husband. That's mine. So, spiritual leader, protector, provider, understander, one of humility, one who focuses on that's supposed to be my my own role. So those are some things, guys and girls, you should look for that in a guy, and guys, you should you should want to be these things. Above all, a spiritual leader, the protector, the provider, um, understanding your why, which means asking her questions, getting to know her, dating her your whole life, even after you're married. Humility. Doing all these things through humility, right? <coughs> and then focusing on all these things. So just want to write them out so we can have them in our Yeah. yeah. <coughs> so um, I don't know if this is where you were going with Genesis, but for me, our role as wives, um, like Genesis 2.18 says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. And then 2.20 says, you know, then the Lord brings all the animals, you know, and he names them. And then it says there was not a helper found that was suitable for him. And so then right after that, God makes 
Eve from man, right? So a key role for women is we're the helper to our husbands. We were made for him. And so some areas that we can help our husbands, um, if the Lord allows, is the bearing and raising and training of children. That's a key area that we help him. Um, We help him by managing our home. So you think about, I mean, men as the provider, I'm talking in generalizations here. I'll get more specific in a little bit. But um, he he gets the things, and then we're to keep the things and manage and maintain the things that he he gets, right? So um, managing a home involves preparing meals, right? Ladies, at some point learn to cook because that is a very quick way to a man's heart is through his belly, okay? (coughs) They like good food. Um, Another part of managing a home is spending money wisely. So the thing, you know, not not making light of finances. Uh, taking care of the home, cleaning it, making it a welcome place for your husband and your kids and other people. Um, those are some of the things. Another way we as women help husbands is as a companion. So should be their closest friend. So that means listening to and talking to them about their day at work and specifics about work because that's a big deal for a man, right, his work. Um, about his ideas and dreams and struggles. Um, another part of being a companion is spending time with him, doing things he enjoys, you know, kind of being by his side. That's a big deal for a husband. Um, another way we're a helper to our husbands is meeting physical needs. And so men have specific physical needs that God has designed, and we as wives are the only ones God intended to meet those specific physical needs. Um, and then spiritually, we help our husbands um, by being like their primary prayer people. Like so, we're praying for them all the time, right? To so that they continue to grow and be built up. <clears throat> so, with saying that, um, I just want to say what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that it's wrong for women to work outside the home. I'm not saying that's a sin thing, um, but. As women, when God has made clear a certain role for us, ultimately, that's where in the future when we stand before Jesus, he's going to ask us about our faithfulness in that specific role that he has made clear. And so God has not made clear in Scripture that we need to bring in a certain amount of money or we need to have a certain type of house or car or activities. Um, He's going to ask us as women, if we get married, if we bear children, he's going to ask us, you know, how did you help your husband? You know, did you help him in these ways? And so you can work outside the home. Um, it's just that your main focus and priority has to be on the role that God has deemed most important. Okay? Um, oh, real quick. So um, I think the path to, for us to grow is, like, if we marry... Not everyone will marry, I understand that. But if we marry and if we're a wife, um, really I think the path of maturity, spiritual maturity for us as women, is through this realm of fulfilling these roles well. That's really how God stretches us because it's very stretching. Um, There's a lot of sacrifice involved for women as well on this side. One thing I wanted to highlight is in Titus 2, um, Paul gives this command to like older women You know, he tells multiple things that these older women should be doing. It says teaching what is good. And he says um, also that they should be encouraging young women to love their husbands, 
to love their children, to be sensible, pure workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. So as we fill our role, the word of God and himself is honored, right? Um, okay. That's good. So helper, companion, uh, kids are a big aspect of that home managing, prayer warrior, um, are all the things, uh, some of the well, some of the things that Lori mentioned. And so I'm going to ask Lori and Brent, which one of these is more important? Which one of these roles is more important? Neither. <coughs> Neither is more important than the other. They're just different. Um, and I'll, I'll talk more about this here in a minute, but you think about spiritual gifts, it's very much the same. Mm-hmm. Um, that God has made us different. He's made us different for a reason. He's made us to complement one another. He's made us different so that we will ha- have to come together to be, to grow, yeah. to mature. So um, that neither one is more important than the other. They're just different. That's good. So why do we see a lot of times husbands tending to like to fulfill this role instead and wives liking to fulfill this role instead or husbands just not wanting to do this and wives just not wanting to do this and why do we see these roles get mixed up in them as a husband and wife not wanting to do what God has called them to do in their role? So I think for wives, I'm going to say, in gen- if we go back to Genesis 4 or 3, no, 4 is Cain and Abel, so it's Genesis 3. Um, you know when Eve sinned, one of the curses that God placed on women was to have a des- it says a desire for your husband. And really we see in Genesis 4, it talks about what that desire means. It's not that I, I desire to be with Brent all the time. I mean, I do love being with Brent, but that's not what the desire meant. It kind of means a desire to control. And so from sin, because of the fall, we as women have a tendency to want to control our husbands or control the situations, right? That's our desire to, to lead over him, which is contrary to what God designed. And so that's what our flesh is going to say, right? And so as we give into our flesh, that's where I think women fall into that desire um, to do that. I think that's kind of a base root of some of that. I know there's other specific things. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, that's, I agree with with that and the uh, I think part of the problem is when, when we're not focusing on our own role mm-hmm. and we're always looking at how you're not doing your role good enough then you start getting prideful you start saying well I could do that better than you so you start jumping over there or, or um, and sometimes it's because the other is not filling their role <laughs> but there's a lot of there's a lot of moms that end up having to bring their kids to church without the husband because the husband's not coming, right? And that's it's important for them to do that. But really, that's the role the husband's supposed to do. And it doesn't mean that the that it's wrong for the woman to to fill that role. It's just not God's design. God's design is ideally for the husband and wife to both be coming and bringing their family. So things get off kilter when one person's not doing their role. And so uh, sometimes it's people trying to strike a balance and trying to fill the roles, fill the void where the, the void is there. Um, so you see people, 
crisscrossing when, yeah. when the roles aren't being fulfilled or when you're focusing too much on the other person's role yeah. rather than focusing on the role you're supposed to fill. Yeah, that's really good. And that's interesting, uh, you know, Lori said the, the curse uh, from Genesis and, and that curse the, the woman was cursed with uh, desire for her husband and the man was cursed with what? Toil. Work would be hard. Work's going to be hard. Providing's going to be hard. Protecting's going to be hard. Leading's going to be hard. Because the ground is now producing thistles and thorns, and sin is in the world. So there's going to be bad people, so you're going to need to protect. And then they're going to have to spiritually lead now uh, in a way that, and spiritually protect in a way that you wouldn't have had to. And so both of them really go back to the curse. Uh, that's really good. Um, so, on some positive notes, how does fulfilling the role, or your role as a husband or wife, positively affect the family? Like, what are the benefits and the good things that come when we do fulfill our role as a husband or wife? So, we said that it brings stability within the marriage because there's a clear leader, you know. Um, there's security in knowing someone you can follow. There's greater peace in marriage and in the family when proper roles are fulfilled. Um, I think kids, I think if you have an experience, like if, you're, if your parents maybe have mixed up roles or aren't fulfilling roles, you might feel as a student even now, like kind of some insecurity in that. So I think that when husbands and wives fill their roles, the kids feel secure, they feel <coughs> safe to some degree. Um, and the last one, which I think is probably one of the most important, is that when we're fulfilling roles as God designed, we we become this picture of Christ in the church, mm. and so it's uh, it's just this other way that God is lifted up and held high, and and people are drawn to that, right? Because there's unity, there's love, there's peace, and because um, that's what it is with Christ in the church. And so, I think I think that's just an attractive thing for outsiders. It's good, and unity and peace our big deal um, whether it's within marriage or church mm-hmm. you know whether it's you know if it's the, within the body the church uh, and that unity there whether it's in marriage or whether it's in you know our unity with God and our personal relationship with him or whatever uh, just fellowship aspect it's all super important so in a marriage if we're unified uh, we will look different than the world and it is good um, it's a lot it's good. It's like if you're if you're married and you don't have unity, like it's it's not fun, right? And not that we're aiming for fun or anything, but like it's not fun to not be unified in marriage. But when you're unified in marriage, it's I don't know how to say that better. There's a better way. But it's fun. It's rich. It's, it's rich. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's good. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. just good. It's yeah. the way it was meant to be, and that is a good thing. Um, <clears throat> so I'm gonna read a couple passages from Genesis. And then we're just going to ask them, just going back to being, I know we've talked about some of this stuff before, but we're just going to talk, ask them a few questions about roles from the beginning. <coughs> Excuse me. First one is Genesis 2.15. So God's creating man and woman in these situations. Um, but this is uh, Genesis 2.15. says, And Yahweh God, or the Lord God, took man and set him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. So God's created everything, right? He's created the sun, moon, stars, all this stuff. And he creates man, first man's name? Adam. A- Thank you, Adam. Okay, first man's name is Adam. So he takes Adam and he puts him in a garden. And he puts him in there, why? According to this verse. To cultivate and keep it. Cultivate and keep it. What does that mean? 
to make stuff grow, right? Make stuff grow up to keep the plants, you know, you got to water them and stuff like that. All right, so to cultivate it. Then, okay, then Yahweh, the Lord God, okay, uh, said, it's not good that this guy, Adam, is alone. So I'm going to make for him a helper as his counterpart. Now, we're not going to read all of it, but then he makes all the animals, as Lori pointed out, and he's like, Adam's like, okay, well, none of these are going to be a good helper for me. Then God makes Eve, right? The helper and the completer. And so, if you guys would, just explain how, not how, but uh, why God created roles. Why do you think he did that? What, you know, did our roles actually even going back to when he created? Or is this a new thing that Paul made up in Ephesians? Like, just explain to us the roles from the beginning. Okay, and I have a long answer here. But I'm gonna, and I'm going to start by answering with a technicality. Okay. And then I'll move on to the, the real heart of the question. But technically, I don't think that God created the idea of roles. Mm. And what I mean by that is I believe that roles have always existed because in the, in the Trinity, you've got Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They were always filling roles. So it was never there was never a time when I think that the idea of roles that itself was created. It's always been there. It's part of who God is. And I think that that's why it's so beautiful, actually. Um, is that God has created roles for marriage because there hasn't always been marriage, right? So marriage came into being. Roles didn't, but roles for marriage came into being, right? So, and I think that that's to, because God has placed his thumbprint on the family as sort of extension of who he is, right? Um, in John 17, this is right before Jesus goes to the cross, he's praying in the garden, and he talks about how um, he's, he's talking to the Father, and he's saying, he's, he's, he's desiring for his disciples that they would be united with one another, and that they would love one another, just as the Father loved the Son before the foundation of the world. So things like love, unity, and roles are part of who God is, and they've been part even before creation, right? Um, but like I said, God did institute marriage. Marriage was created by God, and so the roles within marriage were created by God after the pattern of the fact that there are roles in the Godhead, in the Trinity. Uh, God did not make us to go through life alone, so God gave us roles to help meet one another's needs so we would be un united. Women were created from man. Did I mean to say that? Yeah, from man, because man being alone was not good. God made men the leader in the relationship because having two leaders is not good. If you go back to the basketball analogy, if, you had, if everybody on the team was a point guard, you'd have chaos, right? Give me the ball, give me the ball. Give Nobody's ball, getting rebounds, and everybody wants to bring the ball down the court, right? Mm -hmm. So things just work really well when you... Fill your role, and we're not, that's why we don't say that the the point guard is more important than the center or the center. You know, um, we see that in in the relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they had different roles. We're not going to say the Son's more important than the Father. Um, in Jesus, we we're able to see Jesus. He's the head of the church, so we see Jesus filling the role of the head. We also see Jesus. In submission to the Father, so we see we get to see Jesus filling both those types of roles, and that's great for us because 
he's a model to both men and women in that mm -hmm. regard. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Um, let's see. Man has needs that a woman was designed to meet, and the woman has needs that a man was designed to meet, and we both have needs that only God can meet. Mm -hmm. Okay. God placed, I already talked about him, placing his thumbprint on rules. Will you say that one again loud for everybody? Mm -hmm. That God placed, no, that oh, made oh, God made man to, excuse me, <coughs> woman has needs that only man can fill. Man has needs that only a woman can fill. But we all have needs that only God can fill. That's good. Um, in the body, we have different gifts. We have different roles in the church body, right? God's given us spiritual gifts. They're different from one another, but we are to build on one another through our gifts. We're supposed to grow. We're supposed to be united, and we're supposed to serve in one purpose. It's the same thing in marriage, and that's why they're different. Um, if you look at where you're going to find the Bible talking about the roles of husband and wife, you got 1 Corinthians, you got Ephesians, you got 1 Peter. If you look to find what the Bible says about spiritual gifts and your role in the local body, it's in 1 Corinthians and Ephesians and 1 Peter. Ephesians, we just got done recently going through Ephesians, right? Ephesians 4 talks about unity and building up of the body and spiritual gifts in chapter 4, and then chapter 5 is talking about the role of husband and wife. It's very similar. So, um, anyway, that's why I think God made roles, because it, it's a picture of the Trinity. It's a picture of Christ and the church. Yeah, yeah, I think that's really good. Um, I, I have a question that popped up in my mind. I'm not sure if I should ask or not, because it's completely off topic, and it doesn't really matter that much, but I thought it was kind of cool. So I'm going to go with it. Okay. So roles, this idea of roles being in God, right? Father, Son, and Spirit, which I totally agree with 100%. I think that's really good. Great explanation. So in the afterlife, right? We all die. Do you think there's still going to be roles? Yeah. Because I think uh, rewards, there are rewards in heaven, right? Mm -hmm. And there's different types of rewards, and some of those are responsibility. Uh we're going to have different areas of responsibility. And I'm not sure exactly what that looks like, but I don't think it's going to be the same for everybody. Um, so yes, I do believe there will still be roles in the afterlife. Even though there's no giving of husband and wife, right. there's giving in marriage, right. um, we will no longer have that as a as the same type of picture of Christ in the church because we're going to have Christ in the church right there. Right. And I think roles tie a little bit to purpose, and I just think yeah. I think we will have purpose in. Well, it gives it gives me hope, you know, for the future when I think about having a role in the afterlife, right? Because it's like I'm very purpose driven, mm -hmm. right? And I think all of us are to a degree, right? And so like it's like, man, I'm God's going to have something for me mm -hmm. in the afterlife for me to do, for me to go forward, and for me to. And maybe it goes, I mean, maybe it's just, sorry, tending and cultivating something, you know, but it's going to be something. So that's totally side note. <laughs> but I just thought of it. I was like, that's cool, a cool thought. Okay, so <clears throat> when looking, we're, we got this one, 
one more question. We'll open it up for some questions. So think about some questions you have for them, and then we'll go over a last sentence. But we want to go over this question real quick. So when looking for a spouse, because none of these guys in here are married other than us adult leaders. So when looking for a spouse, what are some indicators uh, that they won't be one that fulfills the God-given role? So yeah. what are some red flags? What are some things, that, or some positive things, like yeah. red flags or positives to look for? Yeah, I had yeah some of the positives and negatives. So this is as a woman, as a female, looking for a man. Um, I think some things you need to look for is, is he quick to protect you physically, emotionally, spiritually, right? So is he going to do things that make you feel physically safe, like to sacrifice of himself? Is he going to do things um, to make you feel emotionally safe? So that's going to tie a lot to his words and how he talks to you and things. Um, is, is, is he growing in his walk with Jesus? Like is he pursuing Jesus as a priority in his life? Um, I have a question really quick. Oh, yep. How can you tell if somebody is pursuing uh, Jesus? Because mm. sometimes when people are dating, they do things that they may not otherwise do and things like that. So just give some practical examples of like, when you see this, like you, that's kind of an indicator that they are pursuing Jesus mm. or pursuing a relationship with him. If, does that make sense? Yeah, the question? so I guess one thing I would say, like if someone, let's see, do you have something automatically? Okay. I would look at their other relationships. Mm. Because if they're if they're doing this for your benefit or to put some sort of a front in front of you, then you got to look at how are they in their relationship with their siblings, with their parents, with their with their, their bosses. Yeah. So I would that's my quick answer. I think also like if they talk about maybe potentially things they're learning. I think if mm. um, I think if they mess up and they ask for forgiveness, I think that can be mm. an indicator because um, typically. I mean, it's hard to ask for forgiveness, right? To confess when we do wrong. I mean, that's a big humility thing. So yeah. I think that could be an indicator. Yeah. I think, too, just like, yeah, thinking through the fruits of the Spirit, <coughs> you know, like, are they pursuing patience? Are they, um, are they pursuing... Uh, do they value... I don't know. Mm, yeah. I could, yeah. No, that I think that's spot, no, so no. I think that's good. And so going back, I'm digging a little deeper here. Okay. Going back to Brent. Okay, I think that's a really good one. Looking, and that's the second or third time we've heard that from different couples is looking at the family. So you have a girl. Let's say you have a girlfriend or boyfriend. How do you see them within their relationships with their parents or with their siblings or things like that? What just what are some practical ways? Like, does that mean going over to the family's house? Does that mean, you know, what does that look like? And maybe that's the only thing. I don't know. But what do you think? Either of you. Well, I do feel like it's a little tricky. Like, I think yeah. back to when I was in high school, and my sister and I had a terrible relationship. Like, we were not kind to one another at all. And so if someone looked, you know, as good in base, you know, my relationship with Jesus on that, I would have been in trouble, you know. Um, I think... I think definitely parent. I mean, I think that's an area that takes a lot of growth. And if you know, I don't know, mm -hmm. if parents aren't interjecting to to say, "Hey, you need you guys <laughs> need to change that." Then um, I don't. Know. I, I don't think that looking at my relationship with my sister would have been a a one hundred percent indicator of my relationship with right. Christ. Um, I just still need a lot of growth. But like, how do they respond to their parents? Are they pretty disrespectful mm -hmm. when they talk to their parents? If their parents ask them to do something, says, Mom, I'll get to it. 
you know, or I mean, things like that. I feel like that is a little bit of a red flag. So if, if you feel like you do that to your mom right now, you might want to just kind of start working you on are that red flag. area. You're red flagged officially. <coughs> um, and then like their friends, I think, do they show, I think someone who's growing in a relationship with Christ shows a genuine, will try to show a genuine interest in their friends and care mm-hmm. for their friends and where they are. Um, again, we're all in process here. Yeah, we I, are in process I want to interject here. something there too because what Lori says about her relationship with her sister, when we started dating though, I, I knew that she had a strained relationship with her sister, but she didn't she didn't want that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And she was seeking she wanted something more than that. Mm-hmm. It's not like she had written off her sister. And so there's even things that you can tell there with regards to that there is difficulty there. So you're looking for patterns of, of just people I'm sort of jumping into my list now. I'll let you finish your list. Oh, yeah. I hadn't started it. Well, no, no I know I just started it. Yeah, I know. I understand. No, okay. So okay. just look for, pay attention to what, how they treat other people, which means you may have to go over to their house, right? Um, and then another thing I, I was thinking of is, well, you could ask your parents how they see that, because they may be able to see your boyfriend or girlfriend better than you can and how they relate to their parents better, because they have a, a little bit of a zoomed out view, and they get to talk to the, op, the other people's parents, too. So that just seeking wise counsel. I don't know is that if that sounds right, but like um, I know when I was you guys' age, if I had a girlfriend or whatever, um, I, she couldn't do wrong, right? So like I go over her house and it's like, oh, it's you know, uh, well, of course anybody respond that way if their parent did that, or of course you know what I mean. And so if I talk to my dad though or my mom, they had a pretty good idea of exactly what was going on because they could see it from that zoomed out view. So that's. Yeah. There's something else. So, sorry, I interrupted. Good, no, not at all. Not at all. But. Um, I think another thing, women, when you're looking at, is is kind of in a financial realm. <coughs> like, I think a red flag if you're dating someone, are they fully? And it kind of depends on where they are in, like, how old they are and stuff. But are they financially dependent on you to pay for things or meals all the time, or are they financially completely dependent on their parents? all the time I think as a man like you just see as provider um, is he willing to get work and hold a steady job I mean I think just those are things to be I think also and this will go into once you get into like probably high school college um, I think this also ties to finances is he quick to jump into debt for any wish or desire I mean I'm not saying I'm not saying these things are like you can't marry. I'm just saying these are little red flags that you need to be attentive to. Now, as a, on the flip side, as a man looking for a woman, I think, guys, if she seems kind of like, I think in the word contentious towards you or other people or like her parents or a, a coach or a boss or teachers, if she just kind of always like, you know, fighting against authority. Like a continual dripping. Yeah, well, as I do. Proverbs I have, says. I have those written down. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I have those written down. Like it says Proverbs nineteen thirteen, and the contentions of a wife wife are a constant dripping. And Proverbs twenty one nineteen, it's better to live in a desert land than with a contentious and vexing woman. That just means someone who's just always kind of fighting back. Um, Proverbs twenty five twenty four. It's better to live in a corner of the roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. So if you find someone who's just kind of always fighting authority, that's a red flag. Um, 
if she constantly belittles you with words. So mm -hmm. women have real issues with our words, and we can really get ourselves in trouble with how we talk to people, our tone of voice, and we might not realize it, guys, but we can just kind of belittle. So I'm not saying if she belittles you at all <laughs> that she's out of the running. I'm just saying if she's just kind of in that zone, that could be a red flag. Again, growing in her walk with Jesus. Um, and this one could seem controversial, <clears throat> but if she kind of walks around in life with this view of like, men and women are equal in everything, and you know, any woman could do that just as well as a man. <laughs> that's a really big thing uh, that's taught in our world. And, but it's just not true. It's just not true. I mean, we are not made to be exactly, to do the same things that men do in every realm. We weren't made that way. Mm -hmm. And so, but if she has that view, it's kind of a, maybe a little bit of a red flag that, that she is not really thinking about <coughs> right roles and how God has designed them. That's really good. Uh, mine, I'll add the ones that don't overlap quickly. They have great difficulty or refusal to see something from someone else's perspective. Mm. You'd be able to see, you want, you want your spouse to be able to see things that are not just the way she looks at them, but mm. be able to see them from a different angle. If they have problems holding to commitments, that's a red flag. Mm. And if they automatically run away from difficult circumstances because in marriage you're going to have tough times and that's how yeah. that's partly how we are sharpened right marriage is a sharpening process which is part of my last sentence but um, we need to not be able to, we need to be able to withstand difficult circumstances yeah it's really good okay we have time for just maybe one or two questions anybody have a question yes Greta is it wrong to kiss before you are engaged Wow, look at that question right out, of the, right out of the start. Is it wrong to kiss before you're engaged? No, it is not wrong. It is not sin. It's not a sin. Okay, it's not a sin. For you, it might be because they're going to tell you not to. Okay, but that is a good question, though. And, uh, you know, for guys and girls, you need to be aware about sexual attraction, right? And how you can help your, your fiancé or your... Uh, Boyfriend, girlfriend, yeah, sorry, I couldn't think of boyfriend, girlfriend, I don't know why. Uh, you need to be aware of that and how you can help them to stay pure, mm -hmm. okay? Because our minds go very quickly. Uh, once you start physical, physically, uh, phys anything physical, our minds start going very quickly to things that are in places that they shouldn't go. And so, is it wrong to kiss before you're engaged? Not, you can't blanket statement and say it is, but it may be for some people. Mm -hmm. It may be for some people, you know, uh, because they may need to not have that physical uh, touch before marriage because it leads them to a place where they shouldn't be. I don't know. Right. That's no, that's <coughs> absolutely correct because you're going to have different weaknesses and you need, that's partly why you need to get to know each other so you know what your weaknesses are and you don't want to, if you, if the person you're dating has weaknesses in a certain area, even if you don't have those weaknesses, you don't want to press that area. So, and I think I think physical activity between a boyfriend and girlfriend, um, especially for a girl, it, it brings like this a deeper emotional connection that we we think or feel um, faster than it does a boy typically. And so, you know, just guarding how far you allow yourself to be emotionally connected um, is a very good thing to guard that 
because potentially, you know, if you're not going <coughs> to marry that person, you're kind of entering into an, a deeper emotional place than you, than you need to if that's not going to be your future spouse. I've known several people that have never kissed before they got married. None of them have ever said that they regretted that. Mm -hmm. I've met several people who have regretted how far they went physically before they got married. So that's something to base it off of, too. Mm -hmm. um, all right. Any more questions? One more question. Yes. Um, is it a sin to get pregnant before you're married? Is it a sin to get pregnant before you're married? That is a sin because God has said that the, the man and wife are to when they get married there to leave one leave their parents and cleave to one another that's something sex is something that is that God has made for marriage mm -hmm. and for husband and wife so that is it is not God's design that that you enter into that type of physical so when we step before. outside of God's design it is sin when mm -hmm. we step outside of his command but again with any sin there is the potential for healing, for redemption, for... So even if you sin in that way, you can confess it to God, just like we do all other sins. And He's faithful and just to forgive mm -hmm. us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, there will be consequences mm -hmm. when you, you know, if you do get pregnant as a female outside <coughs> of marriage, there's just life consequences that comes with it. I mean, typically a, a much harder road yeah. um, and, and difficulty. But it doesn't mean that... God doesn't forgive us when we confess it. It doesn't mean we can't be back in close fellowship with Him. Um, but it, yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. And when you just uh, when you're reading through the New Testament, if you see those words like uh, fornication or immorality or things like that, and it says we shouldn't do those things, that's talking about that could be talking about one of the things it's talking about is sex before marriage, okay, or sex outside of marriage. Really, yeah. is what it is mm -hmm. any sex outside of marriage, um, or anything like that. So that's kind of an indicator too for you guys as you're studying and as you're reading. You may see in Galatians it says uh, the deeds of the flesh are sexual immorality. Well that's sex outside of marriage. That's sex before marriage or outside of the marriage that you're in. So uh, it is wrong and that's that's good and there are consequences for it. Um, Alright. One. Anybody have one more question? Any more? I can give one more opportunity. Okay. Uh, final sentence. Their final sentence, one sentence that you say, I would want to know this, I want these kids to know this, going into marriage, what's one sentence? Marriage is a process involving refining, sharpening, and humbling. So to the best of your ability, train yourself for these types of processes now through your fellowship with Jesus and with others. So mine similar says, I said, study the word in order to prepare yourselves for your role in marriage. Pray for a spouse that values God's design for marriage and spend time with married couples who seek to live out God's mm -hmm. design for marriage. Thanks for joining us for True to the Bible podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this lesson. If you have any questions about this lesson or any of the other True to the Bible podcasts, don't hesitate to contact us at hunter.davis at stillwaterbible.org. Thanks again for tuning in. We hope that you join us for our next lesson.